Hello, everyone, and welcome to Disrupt TV. My name is Bala Afshar. I am the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour on Disrupt TV. We encourage you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Please send Ray, myself, and our distinguished guests questions using hashtag Disrupt TV. It is my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong, CEO and founder of Constellation Research, best-selling author of Disrupting Digital Business. He writes for Harvard Business Review, Forbes, ZDNet, and many publications. And most importantly, he's probably the most engaged futurist on Twitter, at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray, to Disrupt TV. Hey, thanks a lot, Vala, and uh home. Um, great here to be with my co-host as well. Number one CIO, CMO influencer in the world, writing for HuffPo. Of course, a author himself, and more importantly, the guy in the face behind change and change agents in the digital world, Bala Afshar. So who do we have today? This is going to be fun. Ray, it is a privilege uh, for us to have one of the top chief marketing officers in the world. Diana O'Brien is the CMO at Deloitte and advisory partner for several client relationships. As CMO, Diana's focus is to elevate Deloitte in the marketplace by creating world-class client experiences, developing insights, building relationships, innovating our, uh, the marketing approach at Deloitte, and ultimately growing the business. Uh, Diana was named one of Business Insider's top 50 most innovative CMOs in the world in November of 2016. Outside of Deloitte, Diana supports several charities related to autism and is the chairperson and founder of Impact Autism, working to build communities where every child and adult with autism can be enriched, engaged, healthy, and productive. She's a must-follow on Twitter at Diana M. O'Brien, D-I-A-N-A-M-O-B-R-I-E-N. Welcome, Diana, to Disrupt TV. Thanks, Val. It's great to be here and appreciate it. Awesome. Well, welcome. Happy Friday. And uh, one of our favorite topics is really about the changing role of the CMO. And you are one of the CMOs for the largest professional services firms in the world. And it's really going to be good to understand, like, what's shifting, right? You know, how do we change from the world of marketing and internal comms to, you know, what's going on out there? What are the important things? And what are the pressures marketers are facing? Yeah, it's a great question because I think marketing has transformed so much. And just in the last two years, it has been completely disrupted. And as a result, the mandate for the CMO has changed. So just a second on what it was, right? We used to be responsible. Marketing used to own this idea of protecting the reputation by projecting an image of who your brand was. And, and that was a one-way broadcast. You were a cost center that pushed out the message to your customer and your customer got it. So where we are today, though, is something very different. Today, marketing, you have to engage the entire organization to live your brand. You have to engage every part of the organization so that they show up, your product shows up, uh, what people say in your organization reflect who you authentically are. That to me is so different than what it was and how that changed the mandate then is the first thing is you had to understand more deeply the business. You couldn't just understand marketing anymore. You actually had to understand who you were, what problem in the world you were solving for. And I loved that. I thought that was a really great change for them. But it also resulted in the CMO needing to be, uh, quite honestly, smarter and a convener, if you will, of the people who sit at the C-suite. They had to connect with their peers and really understand what problem they're solving for. So that was one. And then the second thing they needed to do was own the client experience, the customer journey, whether or not they were intimately involved in each step of it uh, as part of it. They, they, they couldn't abdicate any of that anymore. They had to own it. And that's why I think we now say CMOs have to drive growth because you own the customer experience. It's the customer experience in total that's going to get you to really connecting uh, at the level you need to. And so that's why it's the growth driver. And then finally, I think a lot of CMOs didn't think they needed to actually be out in the market listening to clients. Uh, I think that's one of the most important things they need to be doing because they've got to take that feedback back to that C-suite and tell them what are our clients saying about us? What are our people saying about us? And we have to reshape our own internal culture to reflect a brand that 
represents who we want to be. That's dramatic from a one-way push broadcast that we used to be. Uh, before you know, I, I ask uh, my question, I just want to congratulate you, your team, and, and Deloitte. The content that you put out uh, daily on, on, on social, specifically where I go on Twitter, is just simply amazing. As a former CMO, um, I, I, I would be educated, inspired, and often it, your content would ignite action in terms of the initiatives that we would uh, embark upon. So just fantastic content. Please keep it up. Because um, I, I'm speaking on behalf of the Deloitte audience. Uh, we yeah. learn a ton from you. <laughs> so. Thanks. I appreciate it. I feel the same about you. So I, I appreciate you saying that. Thank you. That's, that's fantastic. Um, so, so let's talk about pressures for CMO. You said they need to be smarter. Um, they need to be connected. They need to be outside focused, collaborating with business partners, customers, all stakeholders. But at the same time, you see a rising C title in the chief digital officer, which seems to be she has one foot in marketing, one foot in IT, maybe collaborating with the CMO to, to own and uh, co-own the digital experience. Uh, you also have you know, the most connected, most educated uh, customer and, and, and stakeholder uh, uh, in, in, in ever, uh, given, given the, the smartphone phenomenon, the social phenomenon. What are some of the pressures that you see that CMOs have to face in order to, as you said, Build loyalty and earn the trust of the customer business, uh, of customers' future business, but all, and also grow grow the company. Yeah, I think the first one is that a lot of CMOs didn't have confidence to walk into the C-suite because they actually didn't understand the business. They were coming from just a marketing lens, and I think that's also why there's been a proliferation, uh, not always for a bad reason, of course, but that other roles were generated because somebody needed to be able to talk about how the work was changing, the the work that people do is changing, and how they're doing it, where they're doing it, what they're doing is changing. And so you need a level of sophistication, and not every marketer had that. Uh, so that was one, you know, do I have the confidence and the sophistication to be able to talk across the C-suite about the issues that are there? So that, I think, is one of the pressures that they had. There's another pressure which is inundated by technology, right? There's something coming at you every day, and how do you keep up? And when I stepped into the role, I didn't come as a marketer. I actually didn't have that experience. And I thought, my first thought was, I have to get really smart about all the technologies, and I need to understand everything. And I was wrong about that, because it wasn't understanding every technology that was out there, because those are just coming at you so fast uh, that, that you can't possibly keep up. But what, what it was about was saying, what are the problems I want to solve? What's the ecosystem that I need to put around me to help solve that problem now that work is changing? And so I do think that, that those two things are things that the CMO uh, is, is struggling with. And we hear each time we show up, how do I get better prepared to be a peer to the C-suite? And a lot of times they ask the question of, how do I keep up with all the technology? And I think it's important to remember, you got to stay focused on the problem and then find the right ecosystem. That makes a lot, a lot of sense. And, you know, one of the things that's related to that is that you, you have to be on top of the trends, is what you're saying. You got to understand yeah. the business. You understand what's happening on a macroeconomic level and really trying to f then focus and translate what that matters. So how do you right. determine what's important? Like, what's a source for you? What's a signal? Like, what are, come with, what are some of the important areas like, that you focus on, like certain yeah. conferences or events or certain sources, certain publications? Yeah. Well, uh, one, uh, both your Twitter feeds I look at as well. So keep me up to speed on uh, on the heartbeat of it. But I'd say that it's for me, it's about thinking about how you innovate. So when we think about how we innovate, the process of innovation, right, the first thing is to spend time sensing what is happening, what's around the corner, not trying to predict 10 years out, but really trying to predict what are some of these things going to be, what, what's indicative of them once you know that. And so we do a lot of that. We actually have a whole group that spends time just doing sensing. Uh, then you sort of need to go into a phase of incubation and trying and testing and failing and learning and, and you've got to be part of that. You can't abdicate that to someone else. You've got to be in it. Some, I think some CMOs think innovation is risky and they, it's, it should, you know, but it's riskier not to do it. It's riskier not to put your toe in the water and try some things together because it's then that you'll develop with the right set of partners, with the right set of stakeholders, the platform solutions that help business change, whether that's you know big scale solutions or something that 
is more siloed and you know affects a part of the business. So I think it's about thinking about how do you put that outside in mindset all the time? Where do you look? Do you go outside? Do you do inside? Do you, uh, do, you, do you even go back and reflect on things in the past and what problems they were solving and challenge yourself outside of your own domain? So that's a little bit of what we ask all of our professionals to do. And it's also a little bit of what yields some of the eminence that we do have a chance to generate because we'd go both primary and secondary research to generate that. And that's helpful in helping our people get smarter about issues that they didn't necessarily have the time to do the, to, you know, to do the actual study on. So, and, and think about it, like you come back from Davos, right? You come back from Aspen ideas, you come back from these big events. I mean, you guys are, you guys are pulling a lot of influence at these events as well. So how yeah. do you tie that back in? I mean, because you guys have a big presence. I mean, you guys sponsor a lot of events. We do, we do. But so just let's take Davos for a minute. You know, our CEO, our global CEO, our US CEO, we're all there. We participated in a panel discussion, for example, on the future of mobility. And that is a, you know, great deal of research has gone into that. We're helping clients think about it. We had a client-based discussion there. Uh, And part of it is that you can't solve these things alone. It's really through the ecosystem and through shared dialogue that we're surfacing the kinds of discussion that at least Deloitte wants to be having, uh, as opposed to just sort of pontificating the solution. We want to be in the co-creation mode uh, with them and continue to advance thinking as certain ideas become more clear and we know we can build upon it. And that's, I think, a big foundation of what our CEOs believe in. So, uh, you know, as a former CMO, I think about success factors in culture, people, process, lastly, technology, at least in my experience. So let's talk about a big issue, and that's the people part and the talent part. According to Deloitte, a recent millennial survey, 25% of millennials, one in four, would leave their current employer in the next four years. And 44%, almost half, would leave in the next two years, which is incredible to me, thinking about how important it is to retain talent. What, what, what is Deloitte doing to attract and retain your best and brightest, which ultimately will, will help define your, your future success? Yeah, well, it is scary, and it is, I think everybody has this challenge, so that's not new. What I do actually think is interesting, though, is what you do to attract and retain the best, the very best, isn't different from millennials to any other generation. Uh, So we grounded in, I would say, three things. First and foremost is the why, our purpose. Uh, If you've ever heard our global CEO talk, he talks about we have a purpose to make an impact that matters, and everyone can manifest that in their own way. So if you get to go to work every day and say, what I do matters, I solve really important problems, uh, that gives a lot, of, a lot of juice. They have the why as to why they're there. The second thing I think they need is an environment to thrive. I was lucky enough to be part of the Deloitte, building Deloitte University and one piece of what we do to create an environment for people to thrive. This is where I can go and I, I can, I don't, I, I'm unafraid and I can test and stretch my wings and go to the edge and I get feedback from clients and peers and, and friends who can help me grow and become my best. And then you need to be in an environment that seeks inspiration and innovation and will will inspire me to be my best. And if you create that, if I have a purpose, if what I do is important and I'm making an impact that really matters, I'm in an environment where I can thrive. People are nurturing me and helping me to grow. And I'm also around new ideation, ideas and sparks and energy of the future. That's going to inspire me. That's what keeps anyone at any organization. And so we obviously have to demonstrate that and deliver on that promise to millennials because they more likely want to leave. But uh, it isn't any different for somebody who's been with us a long time. So I think those are the three important things that, that at least we do. No, that makes a lot of sense. And, but hey, let me ask you this. You know, retention and recruiting is really marketing. Right, yeah. HR and marketing have kind of converged yes. when you think about what's happened. And so, what do you do around the brand? Not just Deloitte, but like you know, as as a CMO, you're suddenly responsible for a brand that extends to best place to work, that extends to like you know your, your recruiting strategy. What's your mission? What do you stand for? Why do you exist? Right. So, how do you separate that? How do you steward that? You know, especially in an organization like Deloitte, like having been an alum, like Deloitte is super federated. Yeah. Right. This isn't yeah. like a 
command and control. I won't name large, another large firm that's at the beginning of the alphabet. But the point being is like, you know, they're like, okay, everyone jump 10 feet. Everyone jumps 10 feet. Well, it's like, yeah. why am I jumping 10 feet? Right. How come I'm jumping 10 feet? Like who asked for that? You know, right. it's a very, very different environment over there. Yeah. So one of the things that I think uh, it goes back to what I was saying from the beginning is that we do need to have a, uh, a culture that allows people to authentically show up. You can't you can't tell people, look, you 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 sit in this box and this is what you are and show up in the marketplace that way because someday that's going to fail you. What you can do is empower people to show up in their best. What is it that we can do to have people be their best so they're showing up with everything that they have? So to me, that's the the key and we do that by helping everyone not to say this is what you are, but to look for moments Moments, moments that matter. How do you create moments that matter and how do you respond to moments that matter? Because it's in those moments that you build long-standing relationships, that you create trust, that, uh, that, that you build bonds with friends or your teammates or your client colleagues that are uh, are, last your your whole career. And so at Deloitte, I feel like if we, if, because we've articulated what it looks like when we are at, at our best and how to make those moments in people's lives matter, uh, people have a tool set that, that they can then personalize and show up with. Uh, so one might be, for example, is to walk in somebody else's shoes, right? So we tell our everyone coming in from the moment you start uh, all throughout your career is what does it look like to walk in someone else's shoes and how do you do it and how do you suspend your own self-interest to hear what they're saying? To me, that's critical. And, and I think it's why we're able to have an entrepreneurial uh, organization with lots of tentacles and experiences that are that are helpful. I love that. And that's awesome. Just the practice of empathy and being interested right. uh, is, is awesome. I mean, I think it's critical. There's a critical uh, mindset uh, and skill to ultimately become a trusted advisor. And, that's and, right. you, and you are a trusted advisor. You lead uh, a number of client relationships. How does the process of becoming a trusted advisor and building relationships help you in your responsibility as the chief marketing officer? Well, for me, I grew up as a client service person, not as a marketer. And I, I think it's one of the best lessons that a marketer who didn't grow up that way should spend time on. And I look at my job as how do I help every professional, you know, all, you know, 250,000 across the world show up with a mindset that puts the client's problems first, right? That's what, what I want all of them to do. So when I think about what the CMO's job is, that's a big part of it. Uh, you know, you mentioned this idea of culture and HR kind of convening and, and it, it, it um, marrying up against what marketing is. To me, that's exactly where it, the crux of it comes together because they have to feel the brand and to show up that way. And that, that, so I, I don't think there's much more to it than than that, but I think it really matters. You know, you have been saying this across um, this this you know conversation. Know the know the business. Know, know the it well. Business. Yep. Uh, grow the, grow the business, um, and then empower others to actually right. be part of this and kind of drive what's going on. And I think that's that's a very important piece. And that's not traditional advice that CMOs give to right. people. <laughs> right. I mean, and, and you're coming at it because you you've had true business experience working your way up, I mentioned in the practice. Um, so as the market shifts, you're probably in the most dynamic sector. The IT services business is about to get pummeled. The consulting advisory business is about to get pummeled. The audit business get pummeled by things like AI and robotic process automation, and the shifts are happening. You know, what, what's the big challenge ahead for you in terms of like shaping and transforming that brand and steering it through um, these next set of disruptions that are coming in? Yeah, my goal is that it doesn't, it, we don't need to reshape the brand in it. It's still exactly grounded in the same components that it is now. Uh, you know, what are those those moments that matter? How do we make an impact that matters? How do we show up in the ways that we were talking about before? But I think the difference is what I was talking about, how work is changing. So one example is audit couldn't be a more traditional service, right? We've been able to look at innovation, uh, machine learning, cognitive, 
to actually change the way the audit's done so it's not about testing, it's actually about 100% sampling now. I can generate reports that I used to have to have staff do that were manually generating them. Or, you know, years ago when I was in consulting, I did inventory uh, and, and I had to manually count. You know, now we can actually, through mobile apps, be able to track that, you know, real time and I can respond to fraud differently. I can look at so many different things because of some of the new technologies change the problem and the work I'm solving for. And that's the th what's so exciting. That's what every organization and, and Deloitte needs to keep focused on is how, wh what is the future of work? Where will that, what is the work being done? And how can all of these uh, technologies and, 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 and AI and, and AV all change the way that we do it, and that's what's exciting. But I think the root of it isn't any different. How you make the customer feel, the customer journey, the value you deliver to the customer in solving that problem, that's what changes, that, that's what builds your brand, and that's what you have to stay anchored to. And I do think some people actually get distracted by yes. the technologies, and they take their eye off what made them different, what's their differentiation, and, and what's the value that they actually bring to clients. So I think that's a, it's an important lesson for all of us to stay anchored on. So that relationship still between you know, Diana O'Brien, CMO at Deloitte. You can follow her, follow her at Twitter at Diana M. O'Brien, B-R-I-E-N. More importantly, um, a very great discussion on integrated marketing and really understanding what relationships mean as the world is being disrupted. Thanks a lot for being on the show. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you. Wow, Ray, what an awesome, uh, what an awesome CMO. I, I agree 100% <laughs> with everything Diana shared with us. Uh, and uh, again, a, a great follow on Twitter. And uh, it, now uh, we, we transition uh, to another incredible thought leader. Uh, author of a new book. We have Jonathan David Lewis, partner, vice president, and strategic director at McKee Wallwork and Company, uh, the author of A Brand Versus Wild, Building Resilient Brands for Harsh Business Environments. Can't wait to learn more about that. Uh, Jonathan is an engaging, authoritative speaker on shaping a brand that can survive and thrive in today's tough, uncertain world. As a partner and strategy director, uh, he leads uh, his firm to be recognized by industry, a Pereira Advertising Age as a national leader in branding and marketing, winning the Southwest Small Agency of the Year Award, National B2B Campaign of the Year, and National Best Place to Work Award. What an awesome combination of recognition. His opinions are highly sought after by numerous business and marketing publications, including Forbes, DigiDay, and Advertising Age. Another must follow. We only invite must follow people on Twitter on our show. Let's just face it, Ray. <laughs> you can follow <laughs> Jonathan on Twitter at Jonathan D underscore Lewis, L-E-W-I-S. Welcome, Jonathan, to Disrupting You. Hey, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Excellent. Hey, we're, so, hey, you guys are doing a lot of great work at MWNC. You know, you get some very interesting stuff, you know, like, well, robots steal your job. How marketers <laughs> can thrive when machines rule. Goodwill is just an asset. It's also a strategy. So we always see some great stuff from you guys. Now, let's talk about the wild, right? I mean, this is something that sounds like it's near and dear to your heart. What is the wild? Why did you write this book, right? What did you think that folks would get out of this? You know, you know I think the wild at one level is just kind of the emotional state we're all feeling right now. <laughs> you look at politics, you look at technology, business, it's this sort of overwhelming, <clears throat> isolating feeling uh, that everything's out of control, everything's changing too fast. So a lot of business leaders are feeling that today. So that's sort of the emotional definition. We've technically defined it. Um, some of the research that led to the book, uh, we've conducted over the last 10 years, two national studies, and we identified seven factors that affect growth in businesses. Three of those factors are external, and that's how we technically define the wild. So there are things like the economy, uh, aggressive competition, disruption in your industry itself. These are things that are, are proven based on our research to disorient companies and, and make them feel lost or, dis, or dislodged in their own industry, and they begin to wander at that time. So technically, that's the wild. Uh, but I think it's really an emotional thing as well. Uh, based on your study, so you just mentioned three elements externally. What are the four elements that are that are internal? And is there a predictable response to those four internal 
disruptive elements because I'm assuming internal means that we actually have more of an ability to shape our future given that it's an internal internal element. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think one of the, the things that really surprised us and inspired us to write the book was once we conducted this research and, and identified those seven factors, we discovered they actually correlate very highly with the latest in survival psychology. And, you know, in short, there's really no difference between a group of people that crash land on top of a mountain or in a desert and a group of leaders in a, in a boardroom. You know, they're, when they're facing disruption or, or a challenge of any kind, they take a very predictable path in, in their reaction. So the four internal dynamics, this is where the lights went off. You know, this is where we all really kind of sat up in our chair because these are four statistically significant factors that affect growth. They're often ignored by business leaders um, or misunderstood. And they're things like a loss of nerve. So real fear, uh, you know, is, is a first reaction to disruption and affects your growth. Loss of focus in the marketplace, uh, real inconsistency, especially in marketing. And then ultimately what we call savagery, which is a lack of alignment. And this is where you see companies, you know, turf wars, politics, backbiting, gossip, the very things that we all experience that really tend to undermine uh, all of us as we try to navigate this wild out there. No, that's, that's, it's, you're, you're talking about, you're talking about almost everybody's like corporate large company experience and even <laughs> in small startups. Right. And mm -hmm. so, you know, the, these are survival skills, right? So you're talking about survival skills, both at the individual level and at the brand level. Um, what, what's good for individuals? What should they start with to, to be able to understand how to react properly when they're in the wild? There's some interesting research. If you look at the latest in survival psychology, there's this professor named Dr. John Leach. He actually has a theory where, where over the last many years, he's identified that generally people fall into three groups when they're reacting to any sort of disruption or survival scenario. It's called the 10-80-10 theory. 10% of us are prepared. And, you know, we, we react to disruption rationally with logic. And we're able to, to not only get through ourselves, we're able to lead others. 80% of us are paralyzed. We freeze. And we don't know what to do, so we don't do anything. And then another 10% of us make it worse. We panic. We freak out. And we, we actually can hurt ourselves or hurt others. So I think the first place to start as a professional kind of trying to look at what the heck is going on out there with all these changes is understand yourself. Where do you fall in that 10-80-10 theory? The good news is you don't have, you don't have to you know, stay where you are. You can move towards that top 10% that are prepared and that are ready. And a good example might be one of the things that survivalists will tell you is if you're you know, going into even a, a normal scenario, like getting on an airplane, if you travel a lot like most of us, most of us start ignoring those emergency instructions. You know, we never read that pamphlet in front of us because we've heard it a million times. It's like, yeah, you know, it's not going to ever happen or I know what to do. They actually say that every single time you get on that plane, you need to listen to those instructions and read the pamphlet because you need to be in a state of readiness, preparedness that, that uh, allows your mind to react and, and kind of push you towards that 10%. And the same goes for business in general, whatever your industry or, or company or brand, you need to be in a state of readiness and preparedness. And that's where you're, you're constantly vigilant and you're watching. And you mentioned earlier, watching the trends. Um, that, is, that is actually a key component to success today. It's, it's vital. It's not something that you know any of us can outsource or just build a department. It's something we all have to get good at. And understanding, you know, watching what's going on out there and understanding how to find the signal and noise. And so that we're all in this sort of state of alertness all the time as things happen that we can't control. I, I remember the late, great Andy Grove of Intel. Um, I think it was late 80s. He was on the cover of Time magazine in the interview. He said it's important to maintain that uh, sustained state of paranoia uh, and how that has helped him and in, in, Intel continue to innovate. Then you have folks like uh, Bezos who says, you know, Amazon is the best company to fail at. And, or Elon Musk that says failure is an option because if you're not failing, you're not going fast enough. So how do you coach your clients in terms of looking at ambiguity and uncertainty as a good thing? You know, I think the first thing we all need to understand, which most of us um, at, at least intuitively understand in this new marketplace is that all of these old principles for success that we take for granted, that we were taught in our MBA programs or wherever, you know, all of these old principles 
aren't working anymore. So size, scale, longevity, you know, I've been in business 50 years, so you know, I'm going to be in business another 50. There are vulnerabilities today. They actually can make us more vulnerable to disruption, often because we, we get complacent or worse, we get arrogant. And we believe that what made us successful will continue to make us successful. And we sort of template success, which is just invalid today. So understanding that there are new principles for success that are really built on this idea of resiliency, not strength. Strength is not it anymore. And that's why you find, you know, uh, size can actually work against you. And, you know, we're all, we're all freaking out about Google and Amazon, but there comes a point where that actually works against them. And I think, I think we will see that uh, soon. So first thing we have to do is understand there's, there's actually new rules here. It's not just we need to get faster and better. We need to change fundamentally what we think it is required for success. And one of the great examples I've read recently, uh, Dave Gray wrote a, a great book called The Connected Company. And his example was most companies act like trains on train tracks. You know, they run into a mudslide or some other obstacle. And so what do they do? They convene a meeting and they all sit in this meeting around a table and they say, okay, what are we gonna do? We gotta go over, we gotta go under, we gotta go around, we gotta build more train tracks. When fundamentally their problem isn't that there's a, a roadblock, the, their fundamental problem is they're on train tracks. They need to change the company. They need to become a helicopter company or you know pneumatic or, or something so that they're, they're fundamentally rethinking their problem and their solution. And that's where a lot of us are today. We don't even, we, we're, we're so frustrated. We face so many problems, so many disruptions, and, and that's overwhelming and isolating. We don't even understand that we need to go back to the basics and rethink the problem in the first place. Oh, that's a great point. And then I think that, that cognitive paralysis is what John Leach was talking about as well. And then it's something that you're talking about in terms of the, in terms of the survival skills and, and that cognitive paralysis happens. How do people break out of that and improve their awareness of what's going on and, and understand like how to get out of that? Because that, that cognitive paralysis like keeps people stuck instead of getting to fight or flight. Mm -hmm. You know, when you look at the research, I think it's, it's, um, it's nice to know that everybody's afraid and that we don't have a choice. It's physiological. I mean, when, you, when a disruption occurs, when you're facing a particular challenge, you know, growth is stalling, you will have fear regardless of how great you are. And when you have fear, a very specific series of steps occur in your body. You know, you, you lose control of your rational mind and you're kind of feeling thinking, emotional mind takes over. And that's why you get erratic and you become inconsistent and you lose your focus in the marketplace because you're, you're afraid and, and literally you're thinking differently. So first, the first thing is, that's okay. We're all afraid. The difference between those that are able to navigate this ambig ambiguity and, and those that aren't, they get stuck in that in, and paralyzed, is they can't get out. They can't break out and, and regain control of their situation using their rational mind. So any survivalist uh, will tell you, uh, Boy Scouts will tell you, if you're lost in, in the woods, you know, and you don't know what to do and fear has taken over, first thing you do is stop. And it's actually an acronym. Stop, think, observe, plan. And this can be, in many cases, the last thing you want to do. Your body, even if you're paralyzed, your body is, is just kind of going at 110 miles an hour and, and you're thinking, you're all over the place. The last thing you want to do is be still and sit down and and that's really the first thing you have to do because you have to allow you or your team to regain control over the situation from an emotional and and mental standpoint so just stop and for in for business leaders that might mean a day that might mean several weeks but in many cases the last thing you need to do is is uh, or the last thing you want to do is the first thing you have to do otherwise you will just be erratic and make the situation worse we had uh, our first guest, Diana, CMO of Deloitte, talk about not chasing new technology, but rather focusing on desired business outcomes. But at the same time, you have incredible uh, growth in marketing technologies that's, uh, that CMOs have to um, try to understand after they define their business outcomes in order to pick the best solution set. And, and that could potentially lead to inconsistencies because Ultimately, there's enough pressure from the CEO and other line of business pushing and making sure that we have the best tools uh, for our talent to use. 
When you advise CMOs or marketing leaders in terms of developing a, an investment thesis, what do you tell them and guide them so that they don't get into the wild? You know, we see we see errors on both ends. So we we have um, experience with clients who they're chasing everything, and often that's that's because they are afraid and they are they're acting very inconsistent because they don't know what else to do. So they they chase silver bullet solutions, easy answers, and that means okay, that looks shiny and that that can solve all my problems. So let's go all in on that. That's a problem. The other end is a problem as well. I mean, if if you're not trying something new or you know evolving then you're paralyzed so we try to um, give our clients guidance in allowing themselves to fail even in, in a lot of regards so in a practical sense we often say take 10 percent of your budget or five percent of your budget and that's your failure budget and you give yourself <laughs> permission to do anything do something crazy with that budget and that can that is your investment in new technologies and something something you haven't tried before, but you're, you, the pressure's not on to prove all the ROI and you know all that that stuff that that we all deal with, especially in corporate scenarios. So it gives you that permission to fail, and in that failure, you can find okay, this is showing some traction, but I've I've had uh, that's enough success to know where to guide my investment in that regard. No, this is fun. I mean, we are seeing all that shift that's actually happening. People are actually panicking. Things are going on. You know, um, have you used Wild? Um, how's this helped your own career? Like in terms of the concepts, some of the frameworks that you have out there. You know, and and, and definitely, you know, for folks that haven't seen it, definitely get on the Amazon and, and check out the book. Uh, a lot of good stuff there. But but how do you use the framework yourself? So what we've done in terms of being our own professional services firm is our solutions are built around what we've learned about those internal dynamics. And, you know, it doesn't matter how wonderful your strategy is uh, or, or what tactics you're using or how creative you are if the internal dynamics on your team are all screwed up. If you're afraid, if you're unfocused, if you're savage, if, if you know, if there's some unhealthy dynamics going on, none of it matters. So, and if you look at some of the greatest survival stories out there, there can be, you know, people dropped into the worst scenarios on earth. And why do some people make it out? Why do they survive? And why do others just fall apart and literally in those cases die? It's not because they had more tools or more knowledge. It's because their internal dynamics on that team were stronger. So all, all of our, while we're a marketing firm, a professional service firm for marketing, we start in the right place, which is fundamental. It's human nature. We make sure that everybody's on the same page and focus. And, and that allows us to then go to, when we get to those innovative solutions or maybe out of the box solutions that might in some cases be scary, they're not because we understand we, courage is required in the midst of all of this risk out there. What are you doing to build a concept of mission? right, to, to drive internal alignment, reduce friction, like how do you do that? So one, one of the things that we learned that was just so much fun is um, one thing that allows teams, especially large organizations, to move faster and really react or, or adapt to quickly changing environments is this concept of mission. And, and it's not just mission in the business, you know, technical definition that we all think of. It's something that we, we've looked at um, other successful, say, militaries in history. So if you look at, at uh, you know, this is a bad example, but, you know, the Germans in World War II, or even going all the way back to the Mongols, they had this idea that um, if you can align your front, the person on the front lines all the way up to the CEO and not require approval on every single decision, but if you all, if everybody understands what you're trying to accomplish, then then the people on the front lines can make have freedom to make choices to, as long as they're accomplishing that mission at the end of the day so you see this in real you know in today's world with things like starbucks really empowering all of their frontline employees to throw away thousands of dollars hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of supplies just to get your drink right you know or <laughs> or whole foods who everybody who works for whole foods has access to p l's of anybody in the organization every store, every department. They're empowering people, trusting their people so they can make quick decisions because everybody understands what we're all trying to accomplish. If there's no alignment, if, if there's no real sense of mission as I've just defined it, then there's fear, there's lack of information, there, the you know leadership doesn't trust the front lines, so they're not going to empower them. We're seeing this with United Airlines and you know kind of the bureaucracy 
um, of, of the airline industry that doesn't empower employees because everybody's afraid. So mission is absolutely critical for being able to adapt and empower your people to innovate in the midst of this constant change. Very cool. We are here with Jonathan David Lewis, author of Brand vs. Wild, Building Resilient Brands for Harsh Business Environments. He's talking about really helping to focus on navigating risk, cultivating brands, reading the brand signs, developing concepts of mission, and acting with urgency. You can follow him at Jonathan D underscore Lewis on Twitter. And hey, thanks for being on the show. Thanks Thank for having you. me. Terrific. I don't know, man. Are we in the wild? Are we running around? <laughs> <laughs> are, we, are we resilient, dude? I, I, I'm like, I'm like thinking, like, I, what can we do internally at my firm? So this is awesome. Uh, so speaking, speaking of resilience, this is what we call our, our cleanup hitter spot, where we have a thought leader come in and hit a grand slam, and we are delighted to have John Schwartz back on our show. Uh, John is the San Francisco bureau chief for USA Today. Uh, he's been a high-tech journalist since 1987, has worked on MacWeek, uh, London Dailies, like Independent Times, Daily Telegraph, the San Francisco Chronicle, Forbes, and now USA Today. Sorry, I'm revealing your age. Very old. Very old. it all by the age of 32. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. So all by, he barely surprised. made the 30 under 30 list, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, if they had the under 60, I'd be right there. That's awesome. Well, he's certainly on his way of becoming a first ballot Hall of Fame inductee into our Disrupt TV Hall of Fame. Uh, uh, you can follow John on Twitter at JSWARTZ, a must follow. And uh, thanks, John, for coming back to uh, Disrupt TV. Thanks for having me. Happy Friday. Happy Friday to you. Happy today. Friday. What a crazy week. Beautiful hey, day, you know, crazy week. Uh, <laughs> You know, how many trade shows were there? I mean, we we're talking about politics, but just think about the trade shows in tech. They're like seven of them a week now. It's oh, my God. This was ServiceNow, PowerPlex, Dell EMC World, Microsoft, exactly. Sage, NVIDIA, Nice. Holy crap. I mean, which ones were you at? Which ones didn't you go to? Let's start there. Uh, you know what? One of the things we're actually talking about is, is a better way to cover a lot of these shows. I mean, there's so many of them. And we're, we're going to, like for WWDCs coming up, Google I.O. is next week. We just got back from F8s. It's, it's almost kind of reached a point where it's a full-time job just covering those. So we're yeah. trying to figure out a way to kind of deploy people so we don't send three people at each one of them. Right. After a while, did it's just Ray, did they all live stream? Or, 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 yeah, they do or, live stream. That's actually, that's a good point. Because for Build, for instance, we didn't send anybody to Seattle, but we it was just as easy to do a job remotely there for, the, for, for that show. Um, I mean, but we didn't go to Collision this year. Uh, we sent out, we sent fewer people to South by Southwest because there's so much noise and so much clutter. It's like the, it's like the White House news cycle, right? Yeah. It's like oh, you're being. Like, like, yeah. We're not, we're not <laughs> going there, yeah. but, 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 but. No offense to the say. tech industry, but yeah, no, no it's just like, it's, it's like a tsunami of stuff coming at you. And after a while, you just, you know, we have to stop covering all this stuff. It's the numbing of content marketing. I mean, this is what yeah, happens. Yeah, that's, that's exactly I right. mean, we're basically being indulged with all these signals. And we're like, dude, I can't take it anymore. So, uh, and so, I, and, but what people keep doing is they keep pushing hard on the signals to get the attention, right? So we're all going, trying to get attention. And the reality is the most effective piece of marketing campaign today is a FedEx with an actually written letter that's mailed to someone. And actually, huh. that's a better response than anything else. If I if I sent you a handwritten invitation, you're like going to open this. Like I would open. I got it. I would open. I want to mail. I remember. I remember. I miss mail. <laughs> I used to have a mail slot right in, in the newsroom, and everybody would go by every morning to say, "Look what I got." Now it's just like I've got you know 50 messages in clutter every hour, and I'm just deleting them all at the same time. It's like a mass bombing, burning. Right. We're going to send you a paper invite to our oh. event, Constellation Connected Enterprise. We've got. Kim Scott from Radical Candor, Marco Tempest is going to do his cool thing, and a couple other fun stuff. So, uh, but uh, we'll, we'll send you a paper invitation. <laughs> but hey, let's talk AI cool tech, right? Oh yeah, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff that's really interesting that's coming out. There's actually a company that was just announced that Andy Rubin invested in, and that is incubating at Playground. The name of the company is called Lighthouse. It's kind of an artificial intelligence assistant for your home. 
So think of it this way. You know how you're at home and you use Alexa to reach out to the world? Yep. In this case, with Lighthouse, while you're away from your home, you can check in and see everything that happens there. So you'll kind of give a voice-activated command all over your phone, looking at your camera saying, hey, when did the kids do their homework? And you will get a video <laughs> snippet of when that actually happens. It's a little big, it's, it's big brotherish. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's good for security. It's good to check and see everything that's going on there. But it's, it's kind of a little bit semi-mind-blowing of um, this idea of constantly being in contact with something when you're yeah. not there. This is the AI-infused drop cam, so. Yeah, well, exactly. I, I'm not sure if it's accurate, but does it use deep learning algorithms to do facial yeah, recognition? Absolutely. It does use deep learning, uses 3D sensing. So uh, a combination of those is basically used to technology from the DARPA, um, uh, but well, I can't remember the name of it. it was through DARPA to 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 do this this type of almost kind of like real world intelligent smart home. I was going to say the DARPA Grand Challenge. So so some yeah. of the technology that was used in that road race is being applied from autonomous cars into an AI home assistant. They did, and if I remember correctly, this, these were the guys, uh, I think uh, Dalcamp and a bunch of these guys won the uh, grand challenge on autonomous vehicles, but the thing was that it was the 3D sensors that they were using for self-driving cars um, back at Stanford or something like that. I, I can't remember. Yeah, one, but of I remember. Guys, yeah, one of the guys who's part of that project is the CEO of, of Lighthouse, um, and uh, Sebastian Thrun is also part of this. So you have these two ex-Googlers who have either invested in the company or are serving on the board and have helped incubate this company, which is only about 30 people. No, and, and these intelligent. Oh, go ahead, Val. We, we also saw uh, Amazon uh, reveal the next generation Echo with uh, you know video conferencing, video streaming capabilities. And there were articles written about now Echo in the future can even be your stylist, where it can see what you're wearing and then recommend outfit combinations. So the smart devices at home with integrated video and natural language processing capabilities, I don't know, I think Echo is up to 12, 13,000 skill sets after only having only a few hundred last May. So yeah, it, it's, it's uh, and you know, there's elements of privacy and how, how much yeah, that's they, they, they were, Yeah, they wanted to, to assure us about the privacy element and how secure it is, but it always brings back, I mean, this is something that consumers always come back to is, okay, you can do all these incredible things, but what happens if there was a breach? And given the number of breaches that we see every day, or the number of letters that we get in the mail about breaches, sure, sure. pause. They want to wait until something is 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 watertight or, 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 and it's not. I mean, it hasn't been. I mean, legacy companies are telling us about the breaches. Uh, who knows, we, you know, in the next couple of years, maybe we start hearing about breaches from the newer companies and some of these new type of technologies that use data more deeply than ever before. And, and, and as we talk about smart devices, Facebook, and the fact that at some point, there may be an ability for people to type about a minute just using their brain. <laughs> right, so that was that was really cool, actually. That was, that was Regina Dunn, who was from uh, Google, joined Facebook's Building Eight, and this is one of their projects. I mean, it's a couple years away, probably in all likelihood, but it's basically uh, kind of direct brain interface is what they call it. So it's a uh, yeah, this idea of, of a silent speech system. Uh, that 60 scientists are working on around the around the country and in tandem with Facebook, where you could type 100 words per minute from your brain, right? And it's um, directly from your brain. And I think the, the initial use would be people who are um, incapacitated, who can't type. But eventually, fast forward five years, you and I, Facebook friends, we could send each other messages. And eventually, 10 years from then, Maybe it goes into telepathy, for all we know. That's amazing. I mean, that's something Zuckerberg's brought up. That's amazing. Ray, 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 Ray in, the, in the article that John wrote, uh, one of the uh, scientists noted 86 billion neurons, uh, the brain contains 86 billion neurons, and is capable of producing one terabyte of information per second, per second. So when we think about the 
consuming all that data in the autonomous vehicle scenario and now using your brain to communicate just think about the amount of storage and infrastructure you need to make this come to reality it's it's i don't know it's it's stunning to me it's just stunning no and and what's really interesting is you're talking about facebook i mean it's like they're building they're building hardware they're building devices i mean the whole building a team is basically um, doing anything from augmented reality to you know the brain stuff that's going on, right? It, it is really getting a bit scaring. So I mean, where are we on on AI ethics and digital ethics? Does that even exist? Oh, yeah. Privacy is dead. I mean, what what do we do? So in our haste to get uh, to move forward, perhaps maybe we should pause occasionally. Yeah, and it's funny that because I think there's also there's Neuralink. It's uh, Musk's company that's looking into the same area. Um, there's, um, was it uh, Colonel? I think Brian Johnson with a brain tree invested about a hundred million dollars into that, but it's, yeah, it's just, uh, it's pretty mind blowing. Uh, and, and Zuckerberg had talked about telepathy. And when I brought that up to, uh, Regina Dunn, she, she said, you know, don't make that quantum leap just yet. And I re and I think the reason why they're doing that is in light of what's happened with Facebook live and, some other things they have to be a little bit sensitive to uh, the amount of information they know about us and how quickly that reaches the rest of the world. Sure, sure. Now I'm going to shift a little bit because okay, so unprecedented velocity in terms of emerging technologies, whether it's VR, AR, AI, IoT, all the amazing stuff that we're talking about. But one of the implications on jobs uh, earlier in the year in February, you had written that businesses just can't find the right technical workers. Um, you had a note yeah, can't find enough of them. Yeah, yeah they can't find, they, they, I mean, they can't find enough of them. Um, there's the job markets by all that, any estimate you look at, whether it's uh, by a tech think tank or the governments, uh, it's growing, it's outpacing the uh, number of people who graduate from college. So, uh, and well, then we have this other dynamic with the Trump administration and what it might do with H-1B visas, regardless of what you think about them. There's still quite a disparity between the number of unfilled jobs, which estimates range from half a million to a million over the next couple of years. Uh, there's a huge push for retraining and uh, adapting skill sets for workers. Uh, it's you know, technology changes. This is the problem too. Is technology changes so quickly. We do have a lot of people who may be qualified, but they're not qualified to do where we're where we're moving to in terms of AI or AR or automation. That's so. It's just this moving target that's getting larger. Well, here, here's the crazy thing, right? So, so we can't fill enough jobs, right? So we get that one part. Then we get this other report that IT services firms are expecting to drop like 20 to 30% of their people by 2020, massive reduction on the other end. It's confusing, completely confusing. Yeah. I think the, 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 the two areas that I hear a lot of uh, interested in, interest in are uh, cybersecurity. So if you're a legacy company, if you're a bank or even in hospital healthcare, you, you need people who are who specialize in that area. Also um, data processing. So. You're right. So there, there's there's a movement away from some. It's a churn. I mean, in tech, there's a, is a there's a churn in terms of what jobs are of, of most value, and technology because it changes so quickly asks for people to change their skill sets quickly or depend more heavily on people coming out of college who are who can adapt to that. Yeah. Plus, hey, I John. Some of the tech, yeah. Hey, John. Breaking news. Breaking news. Massive, fast-moving cyber attack. It's as many we were, you just guys are writing about this. What's going on? What's going we, on? I, you know, I actually I was waiting to go on here. So let me see. I, I can tell you right now. I can read it off my screen because we just posted something. Uh, you're gonna have to bear with me though. No problem. There is a roll. Yeah, there is like some rolling uh, attack across 12 countries, evidently, and um, I can't tell you much more than that because I don't have it in front of me yet. I don't see it here. Um, Something about shadow brokers and whole stuff coming in. So basically, massive attack. So yeah, yeah. No, I, I, our, our, we had somebody in Europe cover that first. Oh, here we go. So hackers hit English. Wow, hit English hospitals on large scale attack. I'm sorry, I'm just reading this. You're hearing, hearing this as soon as I see this it. This is live here, John. Yeah, uh, here we go. This is the live breaking news. This is what happens on CNN all the time. 
<laughs> MSNBC. Uh, yeah, no, this, uh, I'll, I'll tell you later. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we're basically yeah. in a cyber attack. And, and, and you know, when we think about this, where cyber attacks are coming in, you know, all these trends that are happening, we're becoming more digitally connected. Oh, yeah. So go ahead. Oh, so here we go. So as many as 74 countries have been hit by a huge, fast-moving and global ransomware attack that locks computers and demands the digital equivalent of $300, according to Kaspersky Lab. The infections have disabled more than a dozen hospitals in the UK, Spain's largest telecom company and universities in Italy. Ransomware is believed to be linked to national security agency hacking tools that were leaked by a group that called itself the Shadow Brokers, according to Avast, which is another cybersecurity company. So, wow. so, so what is this? Like, you're you're basically you know running a system on Windows NT and you got shut down, or is it something bigger? It looks huge. I mean, this is basically it looks like a, a total takedown. Um, wow. So yeah, I'm getting frantic messages from the East Coast, wondering what we're going to do next. So we've done the story. Now they want more than the story. They want some sort of commentary on what this might mean. And I'm getting pitches already from multiple cybersecurity companies about this. This is, wow, this is like an epic scale. This is epic scale. It like looks like a rolling ransom. Like, mm -hmm. hey, you're hit. Give us 300 Bitcoin. Right now. Do, it now. Do it now. Do it now. We've got, we've got you held hostage. Oh, okay, here's the release code. Next, let's go to the next hospital. I mean, it's rolling bank robbery here. This is out of control. Hey, you know, and related to that, Wozniak's world in 2075, we're going to be living in deserts. What's all this That's about? Yeah, he thinks that, but it's, he's in his, so most cities cannot be rebuilt or redefined or reshaped. So his idea is that by 2075, cities will be created in deserts where you can start from scratch and you can build an infrastructure that caters to overpopulation and, and you can start all over again. Um, he thinks that's the, that's the best case scenario uh, because of unused land and, and the proximity of deserts to some cities, particularly in Southern California. Wow. So yeah, that's wow. that was part of a, uh, a series of connections he made for uh, his Comic-Con conference that just happened last month. Yeah, and he's, he also knows that these will be powered by AI, much like Minority Report. Um, yes, exactly. And medical devices will be able to self-diagnose and doctor-free prescriptions. And uh, it was it was definitely smart cities and uh, elements of AI. The nth degree, basically, yeah. You know, one of the interesting yeah. things is we've been hearing about excerpts. Uh, a number of um, early early investors have been talking about how the fact that it's not going to be big central city hubs, but with autonomous vehicles, with the ability to generate power on your own, people are going to live further out and, and mitigate this high cost of real estate. I mean, wh wh where do you think that's headed? Well, that, that was part of his theory, actually. That was part of his theory is it's, you know, the, the, the ability to be in these extended reach communities where you have autonomous cars, you, no one's going to have a car. You're all going to live in like a, a, a kind of a large complex, like a stackable type of apartment or building. Everything will be fairly convenient and close. You won't have to wait long. I mean, it kind of sounds a little bit utopian, but I think it's not out of the not out of the range of impossible. Sure. Forget sure. tiny homes. Bring your own. Bring your own pallet. <laughs> there you go. Move, move it. Will. Remember those data centers of the 2010s? They're now make great homes. They're really containers <laughs> from ships. <laughs> John, I know you're going to have a super busy uh, afternoon covering this breaking Yeah, uh, evidently, yes. We really appreciate you coming on Disrupt TV. We hope you come back soon. You're one of our favorites. And uh, best of luck covering, uh, covering this news. Yeah, we'll be looking forward. Hey, keep everyone focused on USA Today. Follow John Schwartz at J-S-W-A-R-T-Z. He's the San Francisco Bureau Chief of USA Today. Thanks a lot for being on the show. Thanks, Chris. Bye. Thank you, John. Look at that. We have breaking news on Disrupt TV. You can't even beat that. I felt bad because I know John is uh, probably getting bombarded with... Uh, oh, my God. Yeah, we felt really bad. But hey, John, thanks for being on the show and, and, and doing live. He's, he's probably got a lot of stuff to do. We'll watch him see what he does next. But hey... Episode 61 is over. We got 62. This one's a little bit of a very, very special place for you and I, one of the verticals that we both love. So. Yeah, absolutely. Higher education. We are going to have Scott Pulsifer, president of Western Governors University, one of the most innovative uh, leaders in higher ed on our show next week. We're going to have Liza Donnelly. She's an award-winning cartoonist for the New Yorker, New York Times. 
CBS News, if you've watched the Emmys, the Oscars, any major award show in the last uh, two years, Liza, uh, Liza is, is uh, drawing live at these events. And uh, she's an award-winning cartoonist, and we hope that she'll draw live for us on the show. And lastly, one of the most innovative CIOs in higher education, uh, Michael Matthews, CIO of Roberts University. He's a guy who you know, has consulted the White House on several occasions in terms of emerging technology and reinventing higher education. So it's going to be uh, another uh, incredible Friday next week. So uh, thank you so much for watching. We hope to connect with you uh, a week from now. Yeah, and if it's Friday, it's Disrupt TV show. Definitely catch us on Twitter. More importantly, subscribe to our Vimeo feed, and you can see us 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern every Friday for the latest in terms of what's happening with CMOs, startups, CEOs, what's happening with the CXO scene, and more importantly, innovation and disruption with change agents. Thanks a lot, everyone. Bye, everyone.